African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Good morning and welcome to another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You tuned right here to Channel Africa. It's your gateway to Africa and we are the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. I'm your host for this one-hour program and we're currently on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today on today's program, we're going to check out what's happening at the Hotel Investment Conference Africa and today we'll be crossing live there to see what is this hotel investment issue all about. But before we get into that topic, let's get our news on Elenzinti is standing by. And looking at your headlines this morning, Ugandan police see substantial amounts of explosives and suicide vests in raids of a suspected Al-Shabaab cell in the capital, Kampala. Liberian President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf sacks 10 senior officials for failing to heed a warning to return from overseas travels to help the government fight against Ebola. And South Sudan is the latest country to rectify the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. Police in the Ugandan capital, Kampala, have seized uh, substantial amounts of explosives and suicide vests and raids on a suspected Al-Shabaab cell. Ugandan officials claim Al-Shabaab was planning on imminent attack. Police arrested 19 people in the operation on Saturday. Uganda urges the public to remain vigilant and it continues its, as it continues to investigate into the planned attack. Authorities say they have increased security at hotels and other key sites, including 
Entebbe International Airport since making the arrests. A Chadian United Nations peacekeeper has been killed and four others wounded after their vehicle struck a land mine in northern Mali. The killing brought swift condemnation from UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon and in a UN Security Council declaration. Members of the Security Council called on the government of Mali to swiftly investigate the attack and bring the perpetrators to justice. President Jacob Zuma will today embark on another effort to broker a peace deal between Lesotho's warring factions. Political disagreements by rival factions in the Mountain Kingdom triggered an aborted coup on August 30th. An emergency meeting of SIDEC summit regional leaders will be convened in South Africa's capital Pretoria later today to discuss pressing security issues in Lesotho and DRC. Zuma is chairperson of SIDEC's organ and politics defense. Presidential correspondent Tepo Ikaneng has more. Lesotho's political and security situation remains on a knife's edge. Lesotho's Prime Minister Tom Tabane failed to meet last Friday's deadline to reopen Parliament after rival political leaders deadlocked over the implementation of the South African Brokert peace deal. The reopening of Parliament is seen as a critical step towards restoring peace and stability in the Mountain Kingdom. President Zuma, who is a peace mediator, has rejected calls for military intervention and has instead pushed for a political solution. The president will also lead talks over the stalled DRC peace process. There's concern over the slow process of the disarmament and demobilization of members of the defeated M23 rebel group, which operated in the North Kivu region. Liberian President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf has sacked 10 senior officials because they failed to heed a warning to return from overseas travel to help the government fight against Ebola. The president's office says the officials include six assistant ministers, two deputy ministers and two commissioners. The officials were initially told last month to return to Liberia but did not comply. Johnson Sirleaf has a a bleed, has a pardon me, also pleaded to U.S. President Barack Obama for urgent aid in tackling Ebola. It's the worst Ebola outbreak in history with 2,400 fatalities in West Africa. South Sudan has become the latest country to ratify the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. This convention, adopted by the UN General Assembly in 1979, defines what continues discrimination against women and commits member states to setting up an agenda for action to support them. Minister for Gender and Social Development in Central Equatorial State, Marmeri Epionia of South Sudan's 10 states and seats of the national government explains. I'm very happy because this is what we have been campaigning for all the time. We have been campaigning when we gathered as women. We really talk about this because without this law, it becomes very difficult even for us to initiate programs that protect women. But all this time, the government of South Sudan was so keen to listen to us and also approve all our programs that uh, focus on women protection. Now, with this convention, which is ratified by uh, our government, I would like to congratulate the, the South Sudan National uh, Assembly for approving or for passing this uh, convention into law.
In recapping on your top stories, Ugandan police see substantial amounts of explosives and suicide vests in raids on a suspected Al-Shabaab cell in the capital Kampala. Liberian President Alan Johnson Sirleaf sex 10 senior officials for failing to heed a warning to return from overseas travels to help the government fight against Ebola. And South Sudan is the latest country to ratify the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. Channel Africa News. Thank you to Onele for that news update. Uh, remember, you are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. You tuned right here on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. That's if you're listening to us on our shortwave service online. You're streaming us live on www.channelafrica.org. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Interact with us during this hour and we know that uh, the best way you can do that is via sms so sms us your views on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five that's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five now let's move to today's subject matter today we are crossing live to the eighth annual hotel investment conference africa and it's a conference that is currently in swing at the maslow hotel in santon johannesburg in south africa as the leading hotel investment conference in sub-Saharan Africa, it brings uh, together regional and international hotel owners, investors, developers, and senior public sector leadership for two and a half days of insightful content, networking, and constructive debate and uh, deal-making. Now, we have uh, various uh, delegates who are at uh, the conference, joining us in the conference room in Santon currently, and I think on the line we have Vincent Joyner, who's the CEO of Hospitality Investment Partners Africa. Vincent, welcome to the program. Good morning and good morning to your listeners. Fantastic. Now, tell us a little bit about Hospitality Investment Partners Africa. What do you guys do? So we basically advise um, big investors from around the world on strategies for entering into the hotel market in Africa. So typically Mm. these are investment funds. Um, We're working with a few at the moment. One has half a billion dollars to invest in hotels in Africa over the next few years. Oh, fantastic. Now, what do we mean by the term hotel investment? This is the main uh, title and uh, theme of uh, this uh, conference. It's titled Hotel Investment. What are we talking about here? So really, we're talking about the, the bricks and mortar, so building a hotel, building the bedrooms, the restaurants, the conference rooms, all of the infrastructure uh, so that people can sleep over in a safe and clean environment. And so within that, you've got the brands, you've got the management companies, you've got the operating companies, and you've got all the different facets of the hotel business that, that come together to talk about these issues. Mm, definitely. And how is the mood there? Has the conference started? And you'll be looking at uh, this theme, seizing opportunities. And uh, let's elaborate. What opportunities are we talking about here, Vincent? Well, if you look across the, the continent at the moment, there's 140 hotels in, in the pipeline, new hotels. I mean, that's a massive number for Africa, um, and we just see that tourism is growing and growing, especially business tourism, but also in Southern Africa and East Africa, we see leisure tourism being very big, mm. and even from Senegal, we see there's a growth in leisure tourism as well. 
Mm, definitely. And uh, in terms of this attraction, why are we seeing this growth, especially at this particular time? What is drawing the investment into Africa? I think there's several reasons coming together at the same time. I think one is that um, the economies are growing, and I think uh, behind that is a certain amount of fixed um, investment from overseas in mining and other resources, oil, gas, and the like. There's also an increase in domestic consumption, And I think that then leads to then demand in other areas um, of the economy. Mm. So overall, it's several things coming together. And I think over the last 10, 20 years, we've seen an improvement in, in governance of different African countries. I think that's helped tremendously. And Chris Hart was saying this morning, it's governance, technology, especially cell phones, mm. the lower debt levels that are really allowing this growth to happen at the moment. Mm, definitely. I don't know if we have uh, our other uh, delegates in that conference room right now. Do we, do we have Dr. Paul Fay there and uh, uh, do we have Shamila uh, Chutia there? Yes, we do. Oh, fantastic. And uh, yeah, that is uh, uh, Shamila Shatia, uh, the Gauteng Tourism Infrastructure Investment Portfolio. He'll be representing that part of Gauteng Tourism. And also we have uh, Dr. Paul Fay, who's the CEO of the Senegal Company for Development and Promotion for Coastal and Touristic Zones. Now, let me uh, take this to you, Dr. Fay, in terms of uh, some of the topics that will be discussed at uh, this particular conference. What is central right now in the hotel industry to really put forward during this particular conference? Thank you very much. Uh, as you know, the tourism has become the first world industrial tourism uh, in the world with one mil- mil- billion of uh, tourist arrivals and one and a half billion of incomes. Mm. So the rate of growth, the world rate of growth is uh, 5% and in South in Africa in the Saharan uh, African countries, the rate of growth is 6 percent. Six, six mm. In Senegal, tourism has become the second sector uh, laid down by the government as a priority after agriculture, and uh, bring us uh, two two hundred fifty millions of dollars and employ twenty eight twenty eight. Uh, what do you call it? Twenty uh, mil. Uh, Thousand, mm-hmm. of employed and uh, has got a great place in the Senegal plan emergency which is going on up to 2012. So tourism is the main sector in our economy. Mm, definitely. We're seeing a lot of opportunities there. Now, coming to you, Shamila, uh, we hear there that uh, uh, Dr. Faye is highlighting the opportunities that lie in, in, the con- in, in terms of the hotel industry and also on the continent in itself. Uh, in terms of the partnership between uh, business and African governments, do you think the partnerships are creating an enable- enabling environment for uh, public-private partnerships to drive infrastructure development initiatives? Yeah, thank you very much. I think that the reality of it is that the public and the private sector need one another. We each have very distinct and different roles to play. Um, And the reality is that it's impossible to do business in any country if you don't work in partnership with government. Um, And government can't do business if it doesn't work in partnership with the private sector. So I think that there um, are certainly enabling legislation that allows for that to happen. Hmm. There is at least an attitude um, and a willingness to work in partnership. 
And I think that more and more business and the public sector are finding one another mm. um, in this ever-increasingly competitive global environment. Mm, definitely. Vincent, your views there in terms of the importance of that collaboration between government and business? It's absolutely critical um, on so many levels. Um, when we look at legislation the government can pass, whether it's around standards required for hotels or property rights or repatriation of profits, or government just skilling up the workforce from general education to the ability to speak different languages um, to special skills like being a chef or whatever, mm. and, and you know, the cost of air access, um, the cost of visas. I mean, in, in the Ivory Coast, I was there a few weeks ago, it was 70 euros to get in. Mm. And that's like a thousand rand just to get in the door. Mm. And that kills tourism. We have to simplify visa requirements to get tourists in and keep the cost down to a minimum. Um, so, so there's a lot of things that we have to work together. It's not one or the other, it's both. Um, and then, you know, business is used to changing quickly. Mm. And I think government needs to also learn how to change more quickly um, and to respond to market needs. Mm, definitely. Uh, Dr. Paul Fay there, in terms of looking at some other challenges facing or hindering optimum development and investments in the tourism sector, we heard there, Vincent, looking at uh, visa requirements that are sometimes a challenge. What other challenges are we finding in the development of hotel investment uh, in the continent? A visa is one of the, the challenges we, we are fighting. Mm. As he said, uh, the government has taken... Uh, uh, policy to to facilitate uh, the tourists to come in Senegal. So for the organized uh, tourist agencies like tour operators, they do not pay visa for these people, but the visa is still compulsory and paid at the airport for individual tourists. Mm-hmm, definitely. And uh, we are talking to uh, three delegates that are attending the Hotel Investment Conference Africa, which is uh, in its eighth conference this year. It's taking place at the Meslo Hotel in Santon, Johannesburg, South Africa. And really leading hotel investments, uh, delegates are there, investors, developers, and senior public sector leadership is there really to look at how to invest and seize the moment, looking at the theme of of seizing opportunities. I have on the line Shamila Shetia, who is from the Gauteng Tourism Infrastructure Investment Portfolio, as well as uh, Dr. Paul Fai, who is a CEO at the Senegal Company for Development and Promotion for Coastal and Touristic Zone. And uh, we also have Vincent Joyner, who we started the conversation with. He is the CEO of the Hospitality Investment Partners Africa. We'll continue with this conversation, but what are your views on uh, the investment in hotel management in the hotel industry do you think we're also getting our own investments domestically because sometimes it is an industry that is such saturated by foreign investment what are your views plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five that's our sms number plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five we'll continue this discussion after this short break we'll be back with our delegates
You are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. We're broadcasting from the SABC building at uh, uh, Auckland Park in Johannesburg and we're crossing live via uh, our telephonic interview and uh, we're looking at uh, the Hotel uh, Investment uh, Conference Africa which is taking place in Santon and we have various delegates that are part of this particular initiative and uh, we're looking at uh, the importance of hotel investment and also looking at some of uh, the opportunities that lie in this industry, especially on the continent. We have uh, various delegates who are joining us there. We're crossing live there. The conference is underway and we have Shamila Shatia from the Gauteng Tourism Infrastructure Investment Portfolio as well as Dr. Paul Fai, who is the CEO of the Senegal Company for Development and Promotion for Coastal and Touristic Zone. Joining us as well we have Vincent Joyner, the CEO of Hospitality Investment Partners Africa. Now, we highlighted really the opportunities and some of the challenges starting this particular program, but I want to move on into the question that I was looking at when it comes to investment itself. Uh, Maybe I should uh, take this to you, Shamila. Hotel investment is usually a foreign investment when we see it because a lot of capital is involved here. How do we change the tide to seeing more Africans themselves owning hotels? Hotels. I actually think that that's not correct. It's not really necessarily foreign investment. There mm. is, in fact, a lot of domestic investment into our own hotel sector. So we have very large domestic hotel groups that have invested quite heavily in the development of mm. our So it's a misperception that mm. it's only foreign capital. I think, Benjamin, that, um, there's a perception mm. that it's mostly foreign because the big-name hotels... Yes are the foreign names, but often the money behind them can be local money. But the brand is international. Um, And if you look at South Africa, the majority of the hotels are not branded. So about 70-80% of hotels are actually individually owned by local South Africans. Fantastic. Yeah, that's the same in East Africa, West Africa. The majority of the hotels are locally owned. Mm, Definitely. Maybe I should be asking a different question in terms of uh, how do we change that image? Because we tend to think that, hey, these are not our own hotels. They're foreign hotels. They're not South African, for instance. Um, I think that will come with time. Mm. I think with the likes of TripAdvisor, B&B or Airbnb, these type of websites, uh, people get to know their local hotels better. Mm. Um, so I think it just it takes time. But obviously, when you see the Marriott name or you see the Hilton name, um, those kind of names, we know them from the television already. Mm. And so we've heard the name many, many times before we actually see the hotel. And, you know, typically these are bigger than average hotels. The typically the five stars we're talking about in this case. So they're more luxurious. But, you know, if you look at the kind of um, Sun One, the Formula One, the City Lodge, the Road Lodges, all these are local hotels. And if you go to East Africa, you find the same thing. If you go to West Africa, most hotels are really local hotels. Yeah, definitely. Dr. Fayi, your view there, do you think uh, this is happening enough where we are seeing this growth of uh, hotels being owned by Africans themselves? Yes, in Senegal, uh, uh, we, we are the main hotels. Uh, big hotels are owned by foreigners, mm. but uh, the composition uh, uh, is changing Changing now. More and more Senegalese businessmen are involved in hotels, and uh, the government also has created credit for hotels to enable, to, input, to enable this category of businessmen to be aware of the importance of tourism in our country 
and involve themselves in, in, the, in the funding. So the, government, the, the present government has given a lot of opportunities by uh, framing out uh, Senegalese uh, emerging plant, and in this plant uh, they give more opportunities to, uh, to everyone, especially mm. mm. for local people. Mm, definitely. And uh, just coming back to you, Shamila, since you are in uh, terms of looking at Gauteng tourism and infrastructure investment, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the uh, government policies that are involved in that. How can we improve policies in the tourism infrastructure investment? What do we still need to do to actually uh, uh, improve this sector in itself? Well, I think that the, for me, the the biggest thing that we need to do is to actually demystify how government works. Mm. Um, I think that there's a lot of perception of red tape and in some times it's the reality of red tape. But actually when you understand how government systems work, how authorizations work, it can be quite smooth and easy flowing. So I think at Gauteng Tourism we really see one of our biggest roles as being able to assist business to actually do business. Um, by actually working in partnership with our government partners to make the the, the application process smoother. Um, That's one of the key things. The other thing I think that is for us a very important area of work is really how we use very valuable state assets. So in Karting, we have the Cradle of Humankind, our Marupeng facility. We also have Sekabos Runt and a number of provincial reserves. These are really uh, quite amazing places pristine on the edge of urban centers that as government we can utilize to Mm. allow people access. Many people actually have never visited places or been tourists themselves. So I think that there are those two multiple ways in which government can work from from a policy directive. I think we also have had some very interesting discussions about how we actually talk to different sectors. So the banking sector, for example, does sometimes see tourism as high risk because the returns on uh, investment are seen as taking too long or too low yield. It's also an area, actually, that government has wide reach to have conversations with different sectors to unlock. It may not seem like a direct sector related to um, tourism work. Mm. Working with our our partners in different sectors, the finance sector, the banking sector, is also a way in which governments can influence policy. Um, And I think that's one of the challenges of tourism, is that it's so multiple and so wide, and it addresses so many different sectors, Hmm. that we find that we influence policy not just in tourism, um, but in transport, in banking, and in a whole range of other areas. Hmm, Definitely. Vincent, your views there on what uh, Shamila is highlighting? I didn't get your question. I was just saying your views there in terms of what Shamila has highlighted when we look at government policy. No, absolutely. I mean, I think we're talking the same language. Mm. We might be coming from different angles sometimes. Mm. Um, but you know, the hotel business is very complex. As you said, you need the government involvement, the bank's involvement. You need education. And yesterday we had a very, very interesting uh, session on future leadership development in South Africa for the hospitality industry. And so many different components have to come together and we have to work together. And it's complex. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, Dr. Paul Fay, in terms of the partnerships between government and uh, the tourism and hotel industry in your country, do we see an alignment in Senegal? Do we see the two working together side by side? 
Yes, uh, the government policy is to encourage uh, the public and private uh, uh, relationship in terms of investment mm. and uh, in the development of new areas dedicated for, this, for local uh, for investment. We have, uh, as you, I said uh, further, uh, Senegalese uh, emergent plant, which give a larger place to, uh, to a private sector, mm. mainly international. And uh, uh, I profit also for the occasion to, to, to note that it is the first time in HICA they have given large place to West Africa to, to talk about the, these uh, problems and uh, give some opportunities. Because uh, the, in, 19, in 2013, I, I said that West Africa also mm. has huge potentialities. Mm. And uh, my company is, has established some relationship with, uh, with South African uh, companies. And uh, we are intend to, to sign uh, MAU, Manifest of Understanding, in October. And uh, presently, we agreed to give them 700 uh, hectares. To, to get investment. So it is going on, and I think uh, the opportunity is, has been very good for us to, to profit for this occasion. Naturally, the language is still a barrier, but we are doing our best to speak uh, English as, as we are concerned. No, definitely. I think, uh, uh, Dr. Fai, you're very uh, optimistic about what's happening on the continent. Looking at the persisting financial challenges gripping the European and a fractured political system paralyzing growth in the United States, it seems that Sub-Saharan Africa should be in a position to cement its position as the leading region of opportunity and development in the global hospitality industry. Is this the case, Vincent? Uh, we're getting there. So, mm. I mean, Africa is the fastest growing economy in, in the world, and West Africa is the fastest growing um, region in Africa. And hotels are an essential part of the infrastructure for economic growth. So the two go hand in hand. So what we've seen over the years is a lot of four- and five-star hotels being built. And now the next wave, and the investors I'm, I'm working with, mm. we're saying let's put the three-star hotels in there for the regional and domestic market, not mm. just international. And the next wave, and probably in five to ten years' time, will be hotels like the Formula Ones, the road lodges, for the domestic local people. Mm. So, you know, there's a kind of a, a growth curve that we know will happen. Mm. Um, Africa's got a massive population, a billion people, and right now we don't have all the hotels we need. And so we'll probably build another five, 6,000 hotels over the next 20 years. I think you're raising a very important element in terms of uh, creating spaces for domestic people themselves. Shamila, what's your view there? It seems like that's also an important area to create hotels for uh, the populations within those uh, uh, countries. Yeah, that's a big part of the Gauteng strategy is to address the needs of the domestic market. I think that we know that there are gaps particularly in terms of the pricing and what's on offer in terms of um, families into the specific market. Mm. So it's certainly one of the key drivers is for us, the domestic market, I think that in developing our tourism destinations, that has always been first and foremost in our mind um, because that is really our largest market mm. to the regional market and then comes international visitors in, mm. in in terms of numbers. Mm. And how do you position things in that, in that sense? How do you make it work, uh, Shamila? How do you position the domestic market first uh, and then uh, the other markets? 
Okay, so what we're trying to do from a marketing perspective is really to get people to explore their backyard. Mm. I think that many people in Gauteng don't know about the most amazing experiences that are just on their doorstep. Mm. Um, that's the one way. We're encouraging what we call staycations. So you stay for a weekend or for three days um, and you explore your province. So these are not really long, extended holidays that people need to take. It's mm. short days. And then we have a very large business tourism market, and it's really encouraging business tourists to stay on one additional day um, while they're doing their business, and then, of course, encouraging them to come back with their families. Mm, definitely. And uh, uh, Dr. Paul Fair, like as you hear there, Shamila is talking about uh, uh, campaigns that are also driven by governments to encourage tourism, to encourage uh, visiting hotels within the countries. How important do you think those campaigns are, especially those that are initiated by the government itself? Uh, in Senegal, government does not owe hotels. Mm. And uh, his objective is to create a good environment to enable uh, private person, people, investors to manage hotels. Mm. Because uh, in our market, the international market is, is very huge, 50%, mm. and uh, concern only six months. And uh, by, by, by the summer, we have uh, less tourists, but the government has uh, declined uh, political, local political uh, uh, solution for local people to mm-hmm. go and uh, discover the, the, the other part of the, the country by cutting down 50% of the, the cost of hotels. So now mm-hmm. the domestic uh, market is being more and more important, mainly mm-hmm. facing to financial crisis, which is in, in Europe. And mm-hmm. Europe constitutes 50% of our clients. Mm, definitely. Vincent, your views there? Well, Benjamin, I think I'd like to add just kind of two points in there. Mm. Uh, one is that the private sector always fills the gap. So if there's a way of fulfilling a need, they'll do it. And already the existing hotels uh, around Africa, they have special offers. So you know, if you look at the different websites, you look at hotel.com, booking.com, and they will give you the discounted rates. So the hotel rates, they might be you know, $200, tomorrow might be $50. Mm. So the, the hotels yield their rates depending on the demand. So there's lots of opportunities, especially on the weekend, mm. for local travelers get very, very good rates. And secondly, um, uh, KwaZulu-Natal, for example, at the moment, is looking at bringing in a, a bed tax, a, a 10% tax on hotel rooms in KwaZulu-Natal. I mean, that will kill local tourism. Mm. You're putting an extra tax on. So this is where government and, you know, provincial government has to work with industry and realize that you just can't tax, 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 because who pays for that extra tax? It's the consumer. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you and me, when we go on holidays, go for a weekend, we have to pay another 10% because, well, because Natal decided we needed to do. Mm, definitely. And uh, we are looking at uh, the 8th Annual Hotel Investment Conference Africa there. You heard the voice of Vincent Joyner, who is the CEO of Hospitality Investment Partners Africa. Uh, also on the line, we have Dr. Paul Fayou, who is a CEO of the Senegal Company for Development and Promotion for Coastal and Touristic Zone. And also joining us, we have from the Gauteng Tourism Infrastructure Investment Portfolio, Shamila Shetia. And uh, we'll continue this debate and uh, we're going to just wrap 
wrap it up. And I want us to come back to this opportunity thing, the seizing opportunities theme after this short break in terms of how do we move forward with seizing these opportunities and what investments do we actually need right now to actually push this uh, uh, hotel investment forward. But we want to hear your thoughts and what do you think about this issue? Plus two seven. 823-325-905 is our SMS number. We want to hear from you. Uh, What do you think about this conversation we're having today on African Dialogue? SMS us on plus 27823-325-905. Remember, you are listening to Channel Africa. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. The time right now is 35 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. We'll wrap it up after this break. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. Uh, and uh, right now, it seems like there are a lot of opportunities just listening to this discussion and some of the conversations we're having from our delegates in the continent in terms of investment. And today we're looking at a different area of investment, hotel investment. And uh, we're looking at the 8th Annual Hotel Investment Conference Africa, which is currently underway. And it's a two and a half day conference, which is looking at networking, construction debates and uh, deal-making in terms of hotel investment. But uh, in terms of uh, moving forward and looking at this theme, seizing opportunities, what needs to be done, Shamila, in terms of taking things forward? Well, I think for Gauteng, we certainly have a plan. We have partnered with the Tourism Business Council to co-host this conference because, A, it's a strategic platform. Um, It uh, is a space to have very reflective conversations, and it's also a space to talk quite openly Mm. about some of the challenges that face us um, as the sector, as the industry, um, and also to find the solutions, because I think the solutions aren't going to come from anywhere else but us. Mm. And for Gauteng, I think that we, we certainly have some really prime state facilities on um, Maruping, which is in the Cradle of Humankind, mm. and in Sekabos Ranch, which is a provincial reserve. And so we certainly are having conversations about how we actually make those offerings better um, and more inclusive um, mm. for, our, for our visitors. Now, not only from a, a regional perspective, but from a national uh, perspective. And also, maybe, let's look at it continentally, Vincent. How do we move forward in making sure that we continue to attract investment on the continent? I think government and business has to work together and talk, and just talk about the different issues. Um, I think from the private sector standpoint, they're looking for um, r- property rights. So if they put an investment of $50 million dollars, They want to know that will be there in 10 years' time. Mm. Um, They need kind of certain guarantees of repatriation of profits. So, you know, obviously they put the money in as an investment, and that might be big um, pension funds or things like that. So they have their beneficiaries to deal with afterwards. But I think, you know, government and business need to talk, um, take a long-term stance. I mean, leadership development for the industry is a 20-, 30-year process. Mm. Mm. 
Mm. So, you know, education, speaking the right languages, and making sure that the different departments within government, you know, immigration control, that we talk together before any new laws are passed, because mm. that impacts um, on the amount, the number of tourists we actually get into the country. And that's the same throughout Africa. Mm, definitely. And uh, coming back to you, Paul, uh, how do you think that we can deal with this in terms of uh, uh, pushing a, a positive partnership between government and uh, uh, this public sector or private sector, rather, in terms of making sure that there's a, a constant dialogue that's not just happening at conferences, but also happens uh, even uh, on a usual and constant basis that we're having this uh, consultation between the two parties, government and uh, private sector? Uh, really, as he said, uh, the government uh, has given a lot of opportunities to private sector. Mm. As you know, our public, public sector is quite uh, very, very weak, and the, the actual government has a good option. As I said, uh, the Senegalese emergency plant, has uh, identified 25, uh, 27 opportunities projects to be undertaken in a, in, a, in a long term. And in a short term, we are having uh, seven, 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 seven projects. Uh, in this project, there are uh, mainly focuses on public and private, uh, in, uh, public and private initiatives. So some incentives are, are taken to enable the investors to constitute within one day only their company mm. to give a right in the property and to guarantee also the repatriation of funds for investors. Mm. And uh, they should uh, stay, uh, they can stay three, three, three years without paying uh, tax. And uh, every facility is there to enable them to, to work in a secure environment because, as you know, Senegalese is very stable politically. Mm. have some coup d'etat, we don't have some problems with uh, Muslims and others. So it is a friendly country. I, I just invite you to, to come and communicate with our people. Yeah, definitely. And uh, as we wrap it up, we only have about uh, four minutes left, uh, Vincent. In terms of that political situation, and sometimes we have uh, some issues of insecurity, as uh, Dr. Paul uh, Faye really highlighted there. He says there's stability in his country, but it's not happening in every African country. How do we work it uh, in that regard, making sure that uh, the politics don't factor in into this, these um, hotel investments, but it actually does make a difference, doesn't it? Well, it does make a very, very big difference. I mean, when we talk with investors, Obviously, they look at the growth and the economic growth, um, but then they say, so how much corruption is there? You know, how stable is the government? How stable is society? Will we have social unrest? Um, because when you build a hotel, it's there for the next 40, 50 years. Um, so you know, it's not like you're in and out tomorrow. So when you put down the project, it takes typically four to five years to build a hotel. Um, so by the time, you know, you finish building, the world might be a different place. So it's a key, key factor when choosing where to put your hotel is political stability. Mm, definitely. Shamila, your final uh, contribution? Yeah, no, I think that, um, I think to add to that, um, Vincent is saying, I think that that is one of the very fortunate things we have as a country, um, is a political stability, a thriving democracy, um, and a, a ground that is fertile for investment. 
Mm, definitely. I want to thank Shamila Chetia, who is uh, from the Houting Tourism Infrastructure Investment Portfolio. Thank you for joining us here on the program. Also, thank you to Dr. Paul Fai, who is the CEO of the Senegal Company for Development and Promotion for Coastal and Touristic Zones, as well as Vincent Joyner. Thank you as well. He's the CEO of the Hospitality Investment Partners Africa. Thank you all for joining us for this hour here on African Dialogue. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's how we wrap it up. But we also want to hear from you, our listener. What do you think about the hotel investment industry in Africa? We've heard that it has some challenges. We hear that there has to be a better uh, kind of conversation between the government and uh, uh, the um, stakeholders within the hotel industry. Do you think enough is done in order to promote as well an African image in terms of our hotels is something maybe I didn't really, really highlight during the interview, how hotels look. Maybe they look very Western. That's why we think they are Western hotels. But whatever you want to speak to us in regard to this uh, conversation, let us know your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven eight two three. Three two five nine zero five. That's our SMS number plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Remember, another way for you to interact with us is via our Twitter handle, and you can interact with us here on Channel Africa at Channel Africa One. That's the Twitter handle. Don't forget the Channel Africa Facebook page, and it's titled Channel Africa. So hey, we love hearing from you from those various platforms. Remember, if you want to SMS us, it's on plus two seven eight. Two three three two five nine zero five. Just in a few minutes, we do have our economics update that is still uh, coming up. Uh, we'll have uh, also our sports that's coming up. Just to give you a heads up, uh, hopefully tomorrow, if things go well, we'll look at uh, discussing uh, the judgment of the Oscar Pistorius uh, case. We know that there's been very much uh, different views of the outcomes of that particular case. So that's what we'll be talking about tomorrow here on African Dialogue. So do join us at this time. Time at 11 o'clock Central African time tomorrow. We'll be looking at uh, the judgment of the Oscar Pistorius case. Uh, it's almost uh, 11.45. It's time for us to move on to get our economics update. With Sanima Tebula is with us in studio. Thanks, Benjamin, and good morning. Traders resumed at the Johannesburg Stock Exchange after a system failure caused a two-hour stoppage earlier today. The boss has reopened its auction call session. The JSE has been hit by problems with the connection between Johannesburg and London in recent years, sparking system glitches that forced the trading to stop several times. One network meltdown in 2010 caused a six-hour halt. In 2012, the boss launched a revamped trading platform to woo more business from hedge funds. The new system is based in Johannesburg, unlike its predecessor that was housed in London. With a market value of nearly $900 billion, the JSE is Africa's deepest and most sophisticated equities market. Business leaders and policymakers are gathering in Rwanda's capital, Kigali, for a three-day business conference, which begins today. This is to explore ways that can lead to higher exports by small businesses. Conference participants will also participate in facilitated business networking sessions with companies from overseas interested in doing business in Africa. The World Export Development Forum is organized by the International Trade Center, the 
only United Nations organization with an exclusive focus on assisting small and medium-sized enterprises. The event hosted by the Rwanda Development Board is the first flagship UN conference to take place in Africa. And IMF's Deputy Managing Director, Nayuki Shinohara, is paying a two-day visit to Angola starting today. The visit is aimed at boosting bilateral financial cooperation. On August 29th, the Executive Board of the IMF concluded the Article 4 consultation with Angola after a strong growth of last year's estimated 6.8%. Angola's economic growth this year is projected at 3.9%, despite a decline in oil output. Phil Nello reports from the capital, Luanda. Authorities of Angola and the board of the International Monetary Fund, IMF, are starting today negotiations aiming at boosting bilateral financial cooperation. Thus, IMF's deputy managing director, Nayuki Shinohara, is paying a two-day visit to Angola starting this Monday. Mr. Shinohara will meet senior Angolan government political and economic officials, as well as will pay a visit to Don Bosco community in one of the poorest suburbs of the capital, Luanda. South Africa's power utility, ESCOM, today is beginning to count down 100 days to the synchronization of the first Medupi power station, six units in the country's Limpopo province. Medupi is the first power station that ESCOM has built in 20 years. ESCOM spokesperson Andrew Ertzinger says the new capacity at Medupi will assist all South Africans. Everything is basically completed. We're just uh, busy with testing at the moment, and then we will, for the very first time, be starting up the the generator within 100 days of today. So it's a big countdown, a very big time uh, for Eskom and, of course, the country. Gemfields, which produces about a fifth of the world's Rath Emeralds, has formed a joint venture to explore sapphire and gemstones in Sri Lanka. The London-listed miner says the joint venture with East West Gem Investments Limited. A Jersey-registered company will operate via three Sri Lankan subsidiaries. Gemfields will own 75% stake, with the company holding the rest in the venture. Gemfields, which mines emeralds in Zambia and rubies in Mozambique, says it has acquired 75% operating interest in 16 exploration licenses. And a financial indicator said uh, the dollar trading at uh, 11 South African rands at 8.93 Botswana Pulas and at 6.11 Zambian Guaches, also trading at 0.60 to the British pound and 0.75 to the euro. Gold now $1,233, platinum $1,306, a fine ounce Brent crude oil at $96.47 per barrel. That's your economics news for now, back in an hour's time with another update. Woody Makura is in the studio now to give us our sports update.
Thank you, Benjamin. Good day, sports fans. And starting off with football news, as part of their efforts to ensure that the Super Eagles come out victorious in their next two matches in the 2015 Africa Cup of Nations qualifier against Sudan, the Nigerian Football Federation says it is making arrangements to see that coach Stephen Keshi signs his new contract before the upcoming match in October. Channel Africa's Tony Oban is in Lagos, Nigeria, and filed this report. NFL General Secretary Musa Amado, who confirmed this in Abuja, also rubbed insinuations in certain quarters that the coach may not be given a new contract due to the team's poor performances against Congo and South Africa. I cannot see how the coach's contract will affect the performance of the team. I have no doubt that he will sign a new contract. I know that it is critically important that the coach signs his contract to secure his future and know exactly what is due to him. I'm sure we will be able to sort out those things before the next two games against Sudan, Amadou said yesterday. On the issue of the controversial elective Congress of the NFF, Amadou said it is not true that the Congress has been scheduled to take place in Ware, stressing that what will take place in the oil-rich town this weekend on September 20 is a Congress that will approve the date and venue for the election. Nigeria's Golden Eagles suffered a 2-1 loss to their Gabonese counterparts in their first leg final round qualifying match of the 2015 Africa Under-17 Championship in Libreville on Sunday. Head coach Emmanuel Amunike attributed their loss to the difficult travelling arrangement in which the Gabonese authorities initially denied them entry into the Libreville into Libreville before CAF intervened following complaints by the Nigerian Football Federation. Amunike further believes the officiating and the match was poor. Nigeria will host Gabon in the second leg in two weeks' time. In the other match played over the weekend, South Africa's under-17 team defeated Egypt 2-1. The second leg will take place in Egypt in two weeks' time, with the overall winners qualifying for the finals in Niger in March next year. On to local football news, Kaiser Chiefs maintained their 100% win record in the APSA Premiership at the weekend with a 2-1 win over the University of Pretoria on Saturday afternoon. This was Chiefs' sixth win of the season, which put them top of the table on 18 points, four clear of their closest rivals, Ike's Cape Town. Chiefs head coach Stuart Baxter says it was a good performance by his team ahead of the MTN8 final against arch-rivals Orlando Pirates this weekend. Difficult game, very difficult game, but a vital game for us. I've told the players that the best preparation for any cup final it's a good performance against Tux because if we, if we don't play well against Tux, if we don't have continue a, confi- uh, a confident run, we'll be going into the, in the final maybe doubting. So the best way is to shut the final out completely, give a great performance against Tux and then make sure that when we go to the final, then we go in there with confidence. In the other fixtures of the weekend, Orlando Parish registered their first home win when they defeated Bidvitz Vitz 1-0 on Saturday night. Ajax Cape Town defeated Free State Stars 2-1. Bologwana City and Amazulu played out to a 2-0 draw. Maritzburg United and Mbomalanga Black Aces played out to a goalless draw. Chiba United were too good for Morocco Solos, beating them 2-0. And league defending champions Sundowns narrowly defeated Bluefoten Celtic by a goal to nil. On to cricket news, Kenya's men's cricket team crushed Tanzania by nine wickets to win the Africa Cup in South Africa this past weekend. Channel Africa's Francis Mutegi is in Arabi Kenya with the, re- with the reaction back home. 
With the win, Kenya finished top of the six teams event with three wins, one tie and a loss, thus emerging the winner. The loss was registered against Zimbabwe where Kenya lost by 43 runs last Thursday. Ngoche and his brother Nehemiah Odiambo shared seven wickets between them as Tanzania failed to recover from 26-4-0 to end up with 91 all out after 27.3 overs. Kenya reached the target in 10.2 overs with Obanda scoring 72 from 43 balls. Obanda put on an unbeaten second wicket stand of 73 with Gurdeep Singh after Diren Gondaria was run out in the fourth over on three from four balls. And finally, the South African Sports Confederation and Olympic Committee will consider Oscar Pistorius's participation in international competitions at a meeting this coming Thursday. This is the word of SASCOC President Gideon Sam. Pistorius was found guilty of culpable homicide on Friday for shooting dead his girlfriend Riva Steenkamp on Valentine's Day last year. Sam says the Olympic body will not make any official comments about Pistorius's eligibility to represent the country and until after the meeting. On Friday last week, the International Paralympic Committee indicated Pistorius would be eligible to compete once he has served any form of punishment. Meanwhile, Athletic South Africa President Alex Skosana says he could not comment until Pistorius has been sentenced. Well, those are your sports news at the Sour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, it's time for us to go, but thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue. And uh, remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And uh, you're welcome. Let us know what you think of our program. Uh, we always love hearing from you. So you can SMS us your opinions on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That SMS number again, plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Or you can tweet us at Channel Africa One. Find us on Facebook as well at Channel Africa. Now, I'm going to end with the proverb of the day as usual. I think I'll be missing some days, but uh, I'm going to come back today strong and this week strong with good proverbs. And this one is states that a small house will hold a hundred friends. Very beautiful. A small house will host a hundred friends. That is our proverb of the day. But that's how we wrap it up. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama, for today's African Dialogue.